Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, I'm Brad Redding, and we have a special guest today. I'm not going to tell who it is yet. Actually, it's in the title, so you know. But we were just talking about very interesting background. So was at a brand, then at a software company in the analytics world, then was in a 3PL. So you started and operated your own 3PL in New York City. And now you are back in the world of data. Alex, welcome to the pod. We are going to dig deep today into Black Friday, Cyber Monday, analytics audit. So going into some of the questions and solutions that Alex, some of your customers are coming to you for today ahead of Q4. And we're going to share some of the tips and tricks that you all are, are doing with your customers. And hopefully, for those listening, you can R&D, rob and duplicate for your own Q4. So Alex, welcome to the pod and uh, give everyone a quick intro on yourself and Taito. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, Brad. And uh, excited to be here. So uh, real quick, I started uh, working at a luggage brand in New York City for about two and a half years, um, doing everything from ops to essentially becoming the de facto data guy. Worked for a different software company, doing analytics, jumped back and started a 3PL. But now I'm back at Taito, building dashboards and uh, helping brands and agencies figure out um, how to make the most of their data. So real quick on Taito, we are your data team as a service. And we provide teams with tools and perspectives, I would say, to best leverage their data. Effectively, this just means getting everything in one place, building some custom dashboards and tools that solve your company's specific needs. So that's, that's kind of the quick background. Nice. And I think you have one of the most unique backgrounds being brand side, I mean, client side, agency side, software side with one of your previous stunts, the 3PL and getting into the data on 3PL and tying in the inventory. So I'm excited for, for you to share some of your wisdom. Let's jump into opportunity segment. This is something that typically, I would say, previous Black Friday, Cyber Monday, either webinars or podcasts that I've done, it was always something I would be looking at of, okay, how can you maximize your data collection going into Q4 so you can leverage that for Q1 and Q2? But I think you have a little bit of a different angle here just in, the, in our notes and outline, and it's opportunity segments that someone can use today for the next two, three, four months. Can you unpack like what are some of the opportunity segments that you and, and some of your customers are leveraging today? Yeah, I think back to like some of these meetings right around now where like you've done some planning and all of a sudden people start freaking out and they're like, okay, like who are we gonna sell to? Where's the money to be made? And I like to rank the opportunities and come up with kind of a priority list. You know, you're working on a team, you've got constrained resources. There's only so many people who can make the emails and uh, shoot the products and stuff. So you got to make sure that they're spending their time on the areas that could yield the highest results. That's how I think about it. So, you know, a lot of customers focus on how many of their customers have only purchased once. And that's usually the biggest opportunity is getting one to two first purchase to second purchase. And there's a couple of different ways that we see people run an analysis or look at that to impact or influence what they're going to do to try to get them to convert. I think one of the ways that I like to do it is uh, to look based on what they bought. So if somebody bought you know, the t-shirt, what's the next thing that they're most likely to buy? And what can you work on recommending them? So there's a few different um, ways of looking at it. We do this all the time. 
sometimes it yields the exact same thing that they bought. And that's like an interesting finding is just keep selling them the same stuff over and over again in different packages. But it could also be something new that the data uncovers as uh, a weird relationship between the two. But it's like beer and eggs, that old example. Beer and eggs? Please, please explain. (laughs) I've never had beer with eggs. Beer and milk or something, or beer and diapers. I forget. I think it's beer and diapers. And it was it's called an association analysis or a market basket analysis. And I think it was like a CVS or something. Uh-huh. And they noticed that people who were buying diapers were frequently associated with buying beer. And it was like the persona was dads going in and buying a last minute pack <laughs> of diapers and picking up six pack. <laughs> so, you know, running specials or recommending things like that you know, put the beer next to the diapers would be the the execution on that finding. This could manifest itself in like making bundles with these types of products or just having that in your, you know, your Klaviyo email as like the hero product at the top of the, the email that you're sending them. So guys who bought the t-shirts, put the socks up at the top. Right. So is that the most common scenario or next step that you see your customers taking is doing that analysis of, hey, what's the top product that drives that second purchase? And is it just doing that in bulk? Or are you segmenting that out based on that first product purchase? So if there were 10 different first products purchased, and they all have 10 different second products as the most likely to purchase next, or maybe it's the same one, the same original product that you mentioned, how would you take that from a, a dashboard or insights that someone might be extracting from a dashboard and putting that into action? You mentioned the Clavio email, but you know, how, how do you tie that together in a recommendation? Clavio has some like really cool built-in recommendation things, but I find that a lot of companies have unique categories or ways that they're grouping their products together and that you might not want to do it on just a single product. You might want to say, what's the most likely thing that outerwear customers buy next rather than just like a specific coat? And then you can take like a top three from this category association analysis And then you could recommend the top three things. So instead of just putting forth one suggestion, you might want to put forth a few. It's like, you know, on Amazon, they have customers also bought. It's never just one thing. It's usually like three or four things. So that's what I would do is I would simplify it down. Because like you said, there's like all these customers who bought a different first product or first purchase product. You can't make a new flow for every single one of them. You have to kind of boil it down or get into a, a more compact form. So it might just be... Let's define three categories and come up with recommendations for the top three categories and then filter everybody else into like the number one category is how I would do it. Got it. And do you see brands starting to do any personalization on site as well? So trying to recognize that user coming back in and personalizing the the hero banner on the homepage or collection pages, or is that too big of a lift? Every once in a while, somebody's doing that. I think it confuses a lot of people, confuses me half the time. <laughs> so. As a consumer? Yeah. Also as a user, like, you know, I've advised a few brands and when it comes to resources and uh, having everything linked up properly, there's always some sort of gotcha in there when it comes to the front end of the site. And I don't know why, but it usually falls like lower on the priorities, but I'd be interested to, to learn more about that. What about offers? Do you recommend a different offer versus new customer acquisition? Well, based on the product that they bought, definitely. This would be another form of the analysis that I would do is like the people who buy a second thing or is that second purchase usually discounted? You know, and I wouldn't look at it as what's like the average discount or whatever. I would look at it as like a distribution of discounts. 
So most people like only going for their second purchase if it's 30% off or more. And this is, you know, applied to brands who run different types of discounts all throughout the year, different opportunities to reconvert. I know some brands will only just run a sale once a year. So this could make it a little harder. But if you have different sales, different types of discounts throughout the year, it's interesting to go back and see of all the customers who made just their second purchase, what was the distribution of those discount percentages across those? So I'll look at it that way. I've run some tests before where I will send out physically put cards like the, uh, the welcome card in the package. And I've made eight different discount codes. I had four that were dollars off and I had four that were percentage off. And they were all varying amounts with different codes. And we sent them out during the Christmas season and just tracked them afterwards to see which codes came back. Uh, and we randomized which orders they went into. It was interesting. It was a nice little experiment. What were the results? You got to share. <laughs> well... I think it was the middle. I think we did like a 15, a 20, and the 25% off, and the 20% off one. More people converted off the 25, but what we lost in margin, it wasn't worth it. So it was better to do the 20. And the 20%, this is years ago. I can't remember if the dollars beat the uh, percent. The rule of 100? Yeah, I forget. Uh, I think it was the percent that won though. Okay, so that's the first... Opportunity segment was looking at customers who've only made one purchase and digging deep in, into there. What, what's another one? The context that, I guess, people who have not purchased, so they're on your list, but they haven't purchased at all? Yeah, yeah. And I would even split those ones up based on when they signed up. Are they a recent sign up that still hasn't purchased? Or have they been like dead weight in your email list for, I don't know, a year, over a year? You may have been excluding them from a lot of your campaigns or they actually might be dormant and it might be just time to reactivate them for one last hurrah. If they're not going to buy when you're on your deepest discounts of the year, it might be worth just uh, suppressing the profiles anyway. So I will sometimes split those up. Like if they're older than six months and they haven't purchased, but they've just been living in there, I might be a lot more aggressive with them and send them a bunch more emails or send them deeper discounts that you don't want everybody else to have just to try to get them over the line. Whereas more recent signups might just be waiting for Christmas, but they're actually interested in buying. But that's usually a good, uh, good way of splitting that up. Do you feel like everyone in holiday is buying based on price? So how would you attack that problem if a brand wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a race to the bottom to find the deepest discount to convert those dormant customers on our, or not customers, but dormant users on our list. What are some other tactics that you've seen or potentially tried, tried yourself? Yeah, I like resorting to the value add, like the free something or the bundle that has more value. And instead of leading with the yeah, ad dollars or percentage off, it's like get a free this uh, or complete the set. I also like adding custom products into the mix, like custom swag benefits like that that are pretty cool. Could be like a limited edition hat with your logo on it. Little knickknacks. You don't want to send them junk, but we did hats one year with the luggage business and uh, they were really successful. People were trying to sell them on uh, eBay like as a rare hat. Wow. <laughs> People were bidding for these hats. So uh, they liked them. Any other opportunity segments? So if someone is, again, looking at their their list and trying to figure out what are the highest leverage segments to use in the next couple of months? Any, any others? So VIPs, I think is a good one. And if you have the resources, like personally reaching out to people who are in your like top 100 customers and like asking them if you can help with anything. And this is, I think, more applicable to uh, high-end goods. But if you're selling high-end goods, that little touch could be what gets you a couple grand. I've had somebody with a luggage was spent 
$4,000 over Christmas. Like that was their Christmas gift. And we had somebody working with them the whole way, you know, with all the addresses and helping them place the order. But a lot of it was instituted by reaching out before Christmas. So it's worth paying somebody, you know, whatever their hourly or wage or that part of their salary, if it's going to yield some of these big ticket orders, you know, how much money would you pay to for like a $200 order where you pay some guy to send five or six emails and you've got four grand. It's worth it. Yeah. I've seen this in skincare where you chat with a skincare specialist in home decor. I also see this with chatting with a design specialist where now you can upload pictures of a room or something that you're trying to furnish and you're essentially staffing up a sales team. I've seen that at some of our customers. I've seen that work across different verticals. Obviously, in the you know, buying the higher like saunas or plunges or things of that nature where you almost have to they force you to talk to somebody to go through and buy. But let's say someone doesn't have the capacity to do that one-to-one outreach and discussion. Is there anything else? that brands can do, let's say their VIP list is 10,000 people. So 10,000 customers who've spent over, I don't know, $1,000 in the last 12 months or 18 months. What are some of their tips that you have? Yeah, well, what I've seen successful across a lot of different brands is the classic like FOMO or like exclusive uh, access. And hey, I'm sending you this code. You've got 24 hours to use it. As you know, we're going crazy for Black Friday tomorrow or later this week. But you know, you've been a, a valuable customer and purchased a lot. So before stuff sells out, here's your chance to get it early. People do wait lists for that too. A wait list for that? Yeah. Do you feel like that's people become numb to the pre-sale? There's more maybe a personal question. I, I saw this happen a lot more last year where there, it was a pre-sale, the pre-pre-sale, pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you stand Yeah, how do you stand out? That's a better question of the VIP, I think getting early access, that makes sense, but maybe this is more of a UX and copywriting exercise, so really going through that process of if you are sending out that VIP email and really trying to encourage, convince people that this truly is early access and there is limited supply, there's limited inventory, which isn't the topic we're going to get into next. Maybe it's like going to ChatGPT and, and telling ChatGPT or, or Bard what exactly you're trying to accomplish and upload your copy and have ChatGPT tweaked it and give you a couple different options and examples for... That's good advice for everything. I use it every day, <laughs> all day long. Yeah, yeah, same. Five, 10 times faster than I used to be at coding or you name it. Just nice to get a second opinion. But I think... You know, part of the waitlist stuff and not just being like, you know, brick in the wall or whatever is building, building on your brand and not neglecting, protecting your brand throughout the rest of the year. So it's not really something you can do like last minute. It has to be something you've worked on for a while, fostering the community and delivering on promises over and over and over again. My wife is like a master at this. She works with a first skincare brand and consistently every single one of their events and every single one of their drops is outperforming because they just invest really heavily on rewarding people for doing this um, surprise and delight. You know, Every once in a while, a package might have a little something from the CEO who's a celebrity, Dr. Whitney Bow Beauty, if anybody's interested. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, are you, gonna, are you allowed to share the brand? Yeah, Dr. Whitney Bow Beauty, like one of the most famous dermatologists. She's on Good Morning America. So they'll do these events and they will invite their top customers to like show up and do like a meet and greet or they might have like a one-on-one -on -one dermatology like over the phone conversation for some of the top customers so they've been able to develop like a really engaged audience so when they drop a wait list or a vip thing there's like a huge line to get in interesting okay it's a good tip I'm pulling up the site now to see what they have going on all right let's transition into 
inventory, which you obviously have very deep experience and domain expertise here. So inventory around the Q4, what if someone sells out of their best offer? Yeah, or what if it never shows up to your warehouse? <laughs> have you had that happen before? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had stuff have to get flown from China. I've had nightmares where like when I had the 3PL, like the person's Christmas, all their inventory arrived on Black Friday when I'm trying to fulfill everything else. So as a 3PL, like what do you do? Do you put everybody else's stuff to the side or do you prioritize like getting all that stuff in when you gave them a deadline a month ago? So there's stuff that's out of everybody's control. And I've seen it happen to very well-prepared brands if something go wrong that's out of their control. So I would group your inventory by categories again and just look at where all your units are, where your uh, GMV is per category. And it could be if something doesn't show up, having just a plan B of like, what could meet your goals? What could you sell that could meet your goals? I'm not sure if you've ever done like inventory planning or merchandise planning for the year, but... Personally, I have not. Well, it's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. It's a lot of conversations. It's frustrating, but it's worth doing. It usually starts with CEO or somebody giving you like, look, these are our targets. These are what I've communicated to investors. And you got to work back. Like, what are we going to do to get there? What are we going to sell? What are our different campaigns going to be? So if you've got Christmas goals, Black Friday goals, and your number one thing isn't there, your next best option should have enough inventory or you should be able to piece something together that still can get you to that goal. So that means not having your second option, only have 10 units in your warehouse. <laughs> right. So the other thing is, what if something's going really, really well? You've launched your big Christmas campaign. You've got your hero product is like way, way outperforming. And all your future campaigns, like you've got some influencers lined up that are about to drop it. And you still have like 20 days left of selling. And you're going to sell out if you keep pumping this thing. So maybe pump the brakes on it and have a second best option so that you still sell out of the hero, but you're not wasting... You don't want to sell out with 15 days left. You want to sell something else. So I like to think of like on the positive side, what if it goes really, really well? You don't want to leave a lot of meat on the bone. Right. And I guess the other, maybe another angle, you don't want to put money behind something that you know is going to organically sell already. Yeah, definitely. So that means just doing a little analysis of how much you have in these different categories and maybe prepping the marketing folks with that information. You know, the data guys is like Tido will have these dashboards and it has to be easy to communicate it to um, the other parts of the team because if it just lives one place, they're not going to want to have to scramble overnight over their Thanksgiving meal to put together the plan B. Right. So, so speaking of scrambling over your Thanksgiving meal and your experience what happens when there something does go wrong in the supply chain that involves one of your top sellers? What do you do? Or what have you seen you or brands try that has worked where you've been able to mitigate the issue? And then what have you seen or attempted that did not work and it was uh yeah, just ended up making a bad situation worse? Never promise a ship by date around Christmas that you really can't execute on. And that can be a really tough pill to swallow. But if you have your top product like in some port, random port, and you've got no eyes on it or no communication, because your freight brokers you know, are dealing with 100 other brands, don't tell people that it will 100% get there for Christmas, because then you're going to be dealing with a ton of bad reviews, a nightmare of chargebacks and things. I've made the decision to do like a pre-sale and send preemptively send out like, uh, look, we're doing our best. It might make it, 
But right. instead of like, we're just giving you the option and you can actually win over a lot of customers by doing that. I think so many brands go the opposite way, which is promise, 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 and then apologize. So if you kind of get ahead of it, you can get some really strong customers. So I'll pre-sell. Yeah. Can you explain that? Can you break that down? Like, what do you mean by pre-selling? How are you, how are you getting around? Yeah. Say, I'll say for, for the product, hey, this is not going... Like, I'll put it on the actual PDP and it'll say like, will not ship until after Christmas. If you want something for Christmas, you could have like a ships now category. And then you can say, look, we'll honor the discounts. We're still going to allow you to buy this. And we actually will give you an extra 10% off because we know this sucks and this is the one that you wanted for Christmas. So you can still get it. Most likely it'll be there you know, within a few weeks after Christmas, but we don't want to ruin the big day. Right. It's interesting because we've had a couple previous episodes in the last month or so where we've and digging into conversion optimization tactics and strategies. And the one for Black Friday or Q4 is have the ship by date on the PDP because that's going to instill confidence. And I guess part of blend or merge those two conversations together, if you have it in your hands, then yes, run with that because that could be a competitive advantage against others. But if you don't have it, like you said, where it's somewhere outside of your purview and you can't guarantee it, the downsides outweigh the potential conversion rate lift and annoying people or, or taking people off. Yeah. And if you think about like, if you're building a brand or a company that plans to have some sort of like longevity, you're not just trying to do like a pump and dump for Christmas season, close the business. Right. Like this stuff will come back to haunt you. And those could have been really good customers that you've now like made an enemy of for the rest of your life. Easier said than done though. When you're staring down a problem like that, it's it's really hard to not be optimistic. Oh, I hope it'll get here. It might get here. But even if it does get to your warehouse in time, if you're working with 3PL, the chances that they can turn it around, they often change their uh, SLAs, you know, the time it takes to receive an order. So it might take them twice as long to do all that and then to get it in the mail and then hope UPS or FedEx executes perfectly during their peak season with you know two days to spare is a recipe for disaster. So yeah, it's tough though. Yeah. All right. Actually, I'm going to clarify one thing. So do you recommend if you have this split inventory problem to have a ships now category or at least maybe test that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it can hurt. Yeah. The CRO minded me says, yeah, that maybe it could hurt because if my top sellers aren't in the ships now category, is that going to divert that person to go look for a competitive product, but that's all. That's just me, my own hypothesis. But <laughs> well, it comes down to a personal preference, I guess. Of I'm not saying it couldn't hurt in the short term. Hard to put a price on what the long term impact might be. Yeah, but at least with uh, you know with some of these dashboards that we'll make for people to quickly get their eyes on a plan B, come up with a, a bundle that might save the day or at least stem the bleeding. Yeah. All right. So let's say we have a hundred brands that you're working with, or maybe, you know, just say out of 100, out of those 100, how many are using last year's Q4 data and extracting insights to apply to this year? So how many are digging into, whether it's second, third purchases, LTV, whatever it might be from last year, how many do you see out of those 100 that are actually doing that process or doing that analysis to apply to this year? Well, doing it and doing it correctly are all the different things. Uh, but yeah, well, doing it correctly, and we'll define what that means in a minute. I'd probably say like sixty percent of them. And what makes it right versus versus you're you're doing it the wrong way? So educate people here. I would say incorrectly would be using like last year's performance marketing benchmarks and stuff as like a good place for where this year might or will be or might be. You know, the environment just changes so quickly. 
that what it cost to acquire a customer on Facebook last year might be more than what it is this year. I would probably more look towards like the past couple months. Yeah, like the L4 model, last four months model. Yeah, yeah. Because last year's Christmas, uh, just like all over the place. Also, I think uh, a lot of these e-com brands, their business might be different than last year. It could have dramatically shifted. They might have introduced something new that's like now the majority of their customers. So you have to factor those kinds of things in. So I think that like, especially with marketing costs and like what you can expect, like, oh, this is my formula from last year. It has to work for this year. I don't like doing that. What I do like looking at is here's all the customers that I acquired last year that weren't during Q4. And then here's the ones that I acquired during Q4. Are there any big differences in LTV between those two groups? Are the people that you acquire on deep discount or on certain bundles better customers, worse customers? Because you don't want to overpay. You know, you want to chase the good money with the bad overpaying for somebody who's just not going to come back for a second order. Right. Just unpacking that one a little bit more. It's looking at customers acquired during your holiday shopping period. What's their, not even lifetime value, but what's their value from the last 12 months? Yeah. And what was your cost to acquire them and do that? Okay. Did you make 20% more from them, 20% less, and then apply that against your profitability lens or, or contribution margin? Yeah. And I think uh, this is like a really good use case for uh, building some of these custom dashboards or running uh, a few of these different analyses. It would be like, what's your summer customers LTV in six months or 12 months? I usually do it by groups of three months, so like three, six, nine, 12 months. Mm -hmm. And that might, you might say, well, Christmas is just around the corner. I can overspend or I can spend a lot more acquiring a summer customer because I get a really good six month repeat rate out of them because Christmas is right there. But the ones that you acquire in Christmas, it might be a lot lower because your next big sale might be Memorial Day and you have to wait all that time, five and a half months or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, usually with spending money around Christmas, I would be spending like right now to try to get the emails and the contacts and not trying to do your prospecting then. So looking at your like cost of acquisition during Q4, a lot of the money to acquire those customers was probably spent a while ago anyways. Yeah. But just repeat purchase patterns, I think is um, there's really big differences based off of when the person first bought. Yeah. And I recall I'm not going to be able to pull this stat from thin air right now. But I I recall last year looking at a stat and I was surprised how much holiday spend was actually in January. Is that something that you guys get into at all? Sorry, sorry. How much not spend? Revenue. When you look at the holiday period, it's not like, okay, just Boxing Day or Christmas Day, etc. When those dates are done, that revenue is, you know, you turn the you turn the, the faucet off. I was surprised how much revenue and, and consumer spend, so not ad spend, consumer spend, actually goes into January. So after holiday period, it was 20, 15, 20%. Again, don't quote me on it. Anyone who's going to go fact check me, but it was a significant amount where I was like, wow, that's surprising. And the chart last year, you correlated the amount of actual ad spend. So people pulling budgets at the end of December, early January, while there was still money to be spent, that it actually turned out to be a more profitable period to acquire customers. I'll try to pull a stat and put it in the show notes. But anyways, anything anything that you guys do there and looking at planning through January or... Yeah, actually, well, there's two ways that I would say that are completely different from what you just said, but involve January. One is looking at returns and trying to understand where your returns are coming from and bringing the return back to the original order date. I know when you go in Shopify and you're like, okay, how much did I make? What were my returns? 
it's showing you the returns when they were processed, but not when the original order occurred. So it's it's helpful to understand like what's my true return rate. In order to understand that, you have to be able to link that returned amount to the original purchase date. Yeah. So that's an analysis we do and it shows, hey, actually January's return rate isn't 50% of your sales. They were from Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> seems counterintuitive, but often overlooked. The other piece was neglecting the Christmas or the Black Friday customers in January and looking at like in general, repeat purchase history. Most of it occurs within like the first 45 days of acquiring a customer. You know, they get the product, they like it, and they buy again quickly. And then it tails off pretty severely usually. So right after the holidays is January and running a sale to re-engage them right in January isn't a bad idea. You know, you, after the shipping cutoffs, like every team takes a big sigh of relief and they, you know, go on their two week vacation because they've just been working so hard. And then you get back and you're having like planning meetings and stuff. But really, there's a lot of money to be made right there, just re engaging all those customers you acquired. That's a really good tip. So as we, uh, as we wrap up here, any other quick tips like that one that you want to leave everyone listening with? Yeah. Well, I would say, in order to do all this, you can do it all in Excel. I've done it all in Excel. Downloading all the CSVs and stuff takes a lot of time to do. And there's definitely a lot of room for human error, but it's not impossible. But what we do at Taito is we just get all that data in one place in a live setting and service it all so that you're, you're not spending time, kind of the monotonous data cleaning and stuff. You're just looking at the results and you're able to make those decisions quickly. Often, you know, we have customers coming to us with very, very specific needs, but the other times it's they're looking for our guidance and to kind of apply the wisdom of the crowd to their specific business situation. And, you know, their holiday dashboard might look different than somebody else's if they've got a really wide SKU catalog versus like a single hero product with a couple offshoot upsells. Yeah. But getting that infrastructure set up is difficult, it's annoying, it's expensive. You got to write SQL. You got to have some background in that, and uh, we provide that, you know, for for a cost. But it's definitely a lot cheaper than, you know, paying somebody on staff who has that skill set. Most of these brands, even the big ones, I've worked with brands, you know, fifty, sixty million dollars. They might have a data person, but they're not a data engineer. They might be really good at analyzing stuff, but getting everything into the database, the right database, and then validating that what's in there is actually correct is not in their skill set. They're really good at like analyzing it. So we can handle just that part, but we can also help with the analysis. So I would say getting it set up before you need it or before you're like having that oh crap moment of like, dang, I really want that information. I need to make a decision right now because it, you know, it takes a few weeks. Are you a proponent of the dumping both the daily and the real-time stream GA4 data in a BigQuery and then leveraging that and data blending with other sources? Okay, so I only do the daily. I don't do the streaming. Okay. And I don't really work on a lot of real-time data products or like needs. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just find that uh, a lot of these decisions that the brands make take a while to figure themselves out. And aside from like the website being down, you don't want it to be like super reactionary. Like, what's what's going on? My conversion rate's yeah. too low this morning. Like, something must be wrong. And like, it could just be random. So it definitely encourages a sort of like crack button, like just keep pressing it, <laughs> refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And some people love that. But uh, but the daily, which is a free sync. So just dump your daily exports in a BigQuery. And then that's part of the foundation that you guys are using to 
pull in Shopify data and do some of this regression analysis or whatever you're pulling together? Yeah, so we'll connect Shopify, Facebook, Google, kind of all those sources and the GA4 daily stream if they want it. Another thing that I like to do is uh, use Google Sheets. And a lot of teams that I work with have some really, really talented finance and uh, planning people. They're not marketing data analysts, but they have a brand's projections. They have all that kind of budgets and stuff split out. And we will put those in Google Sheets, tracking sheets, and I will link those into the database. And then I will map the real-time results against your finance team's projections. So you can call out if you're missing stuff early before they start freaking out at the end of the month. They're like, hey, why didn't I know about this? Everybody's got a dashboard where they can see, we said we were going to make 100 grand. We're already over our goal. Like, let's change stuff. So that's a way that I like to uh, include them uh, in the conversation. Awesome. Well, Alex, thanks for, for jumping on here, sharing some wisdom. Where can folks find out more about Tido or get in touch with you? Yeah, Tido.com. We have a, a custom landing page for Elevar at Tido.com slash Elevar. And you can sign up, get a free POC done, make you a custom dashboard and kind of show you what, what we can do. Just got to plug in your Shopify or whatever data sources you want and we'll churn it out. Hit me up on Twitter, Aromac if you want. Cool. All right. And you're going to go surf some waves from Hurricane Lee coming up in Maine. Maine surf season is here. Pray for my soul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, Alex. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. It's fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. In order to help spread the word and just support the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, share it on Twitter, share it on LinkedIn, send it to colleagues, or just send me feedback. I love reading feedback. I appreciate it. Many of the guests that have been on here, they've just emailed saying, hey, I'd love to join. Here's some topics. That could be you. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My email is brad at getelevar.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to give us a rating, I would appreciate that as well. You can rate us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening to this. But at the end of the day, if you could just share this and let others learn more about the world that you live in, the world that I live in with e-commerce and conversion tracking, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.